Thank you for joining us in worship today. The service you are watching was recorded on July 16th, 2017. We will return to live broadcast on August 6th, 2017. Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus in the 20th chapter. It is the second set of the second part of the Ten Commandments, uh, beginning in verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the second chapter, and it is the story that Debbie alluded to with the children. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found the people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. His disciples remarked that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they they believed the scriptures, that the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in Jesus' name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. The word of the Lord. What do you get mad about? There was a news story I saw recently. You may have seen the same one. There was a man in Arkansas, in Little Rock, who drove his car onto the grounds of the state capitol and wrecked a statue there. It was a statue that the legislature had authorized to be built. It was of the Ten Commandments. This man thought that those should not be on the the grounds of the Capitol. Turns out, this was not the first time he had done that. He had done that also in Oklahoma several years ago 
Following that, he was um, given medical treatment and medical uh, examination, and it was determined that he had a mental illness. A newspaper report says that this man had posted on Facebook, the source of all information we have, isn't it? But he had posted on Facebook that he was a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, but that he believed that there was a separation of church and state, and so there shouldn't be a statue, a religious statue, on state grounds. Now, I'm not bringing this story up to make one point or the other with that. I'm bringing this story up to ask you, how do you feel about it? Are you mad? Do you get mad because this man drove his, stat- drove his car and, and, and wrecked a, a statue on public property? Or are you mad because there's a statue there in the first place? Consider this other story. Um, Tony Campolo is a prominent Christian evangelist, author, and speaker. He, um, 12 years or so ago, he was speaking to a large gathering, and he's a very dynamic person if you've ever seen or known him. And he, he started out by saying, there are three things I want to say to you today. First, that while you were sleeping last night, 30,000 kids died of starvation or disease that was caused by malnutrition. He paused for a second. Second, most of you don't give up, and he used an expletive. He said, to that crowd, and everybody kind of, you could hear the gasp go out of the room. And third, what's worse is that you probably don't care that much about the fact that 30,000 kids died last night and are more concerned about the word that I just used. Whoa, what do you get mad about? Do you get mad about 30, the fact that tens of thousands of children die every day? The number may not be 30,000 now, it may be less, it may be more, I don't know, but the, the, the reality is there are a lot of children who die in the world due to malnutrition. Or do we get mad about the way that somebody makes a point by confronting us, putting something in our face um, as a motivational technique? What do we get mad about? Or we could consider the story from Scripture. Jesus went to the temple, and he found that it was filled with merchants and wares that were selling. They were part of the religious scheme. The, 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 the practice of Judaism in that day was to have sacrifice at the temple. That's what they went to do. So you, to have sacrifice, you had to have something to sacrifice. Most people who came traveled some distance. They weren't going to be able to bring their animal to sacrifice. So those had to be available. And when you have animals around, you have lots of things around. It was pretty messy. And, and you had people coming from other countries, and they didn't have ATMs to go change their money, so they used money changers there. And it was crazy. But a whole business and a whole culture had developed around that, and it had gotten basically a little bit corrupt. It wasn't exactly what was intended. And Jesus went in there, and he was angry, and he turned over the tables. He drove out the stalls. He emptied them all out, and he told the people to to leave, to flee. We don't know from Scripture how long that happened, whether or not it was a day or it lasted a week, or we don't know. What we do know is that Jesus was making a point that 
when we worship God, there is a matter of holiness that's there. That how we do it matters. We may have a form, but we don't need to become so connected to the form that we lose the point of the worship. So what do we get angry about? That the faith had all of these things that had been added onto it? Or that Jesus went in there and turned everything upside down? So often in our faith tradition, we hear about the the fact that God hates sin and will punish those unless they repent. God hates sin but loves the sinner is one of the ways that it's phrased. The Old Testament law is given to identify sin. Certainly the Ten Commandments do that. Ways in which the first four speak about ways in which we have a relationship with God. The second six that I just read today are about how we relate to each other, people to people. In the New Testament, Paul said the law is there to be a guardian. That's one of the words he uses. It tells us which is wrong until the point when we we can understand that Jesus came to fulfill the law, to to transcend it and lift it up and to transform us in the process. That's sort of the, the story that we hear. The toolbox of faith that we have as Christians helps us make sense of this. The toolbox that we've been working with here for the last several weeks and for the next couple more is the Apostles' Creed, which gives us items to to affirm who God is and what God does. The Lord's Prayer, which is a template for how we speak to God and address God. The Beatitudes, which are ways to understand the power of blessings and how they are shared and as well as received. And the Ten Commandments, the law. They were given to Moses when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They had fled captivity and slavery in Egypt, and they were on their way to a land that had been promised there. They weren't there yet. They needed some guidance. They needed some handrails. They needed some pathways laid plain for them in the wilderness. So last week, we looked at the first four of those that speak about how we relate to God today. At the, at the second six. The law. When you think of the law, what comes to mind? Um, it is a phrase that speaks about authority that we, that we hold on to. Some of you are probably old enough to have that line in your head from the old Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song about looking in the mirror and seeing the lights of the police car. Anybody? Or is it just me? Okay, it may just be me. <clears throat> but anyway, that's an old Crosby, Stills & Nash song from the 60s. Um, you may think of things like law and order, right? Everybody, the television show, which has been around for, what, since dirt, maybe. Um, When we think about law, we think about what is legal and what is not. What we can do and what we can't. What about getting caught? What's the law going to do? And how do we live with that? But there is more to the law than simply what... What, is, what we can get away with. The law that was laid out was to be a code of life. It was about what was good and what was just and what was equitable and what was fair. It was to lift up and to be a way of affirming life, not a way of pushing down and creating undue burdens. 
The law was about making relationships right. How do we live in such a way with each other that things can be right? Not wrong. How do we move forward? How do we make our way forward? Our ancestors in the Reformation from 500 years ago cited three purposes of the law as identified the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament law. The first was to uh, tell us that we are sinful, to, to acknowledge that humanity is sinful. We get that. The second is a more universal one. It's to promote social order. Society is better when you do these things, when people aren't murdering and stealing and um, running around and lying. And the third use of the law was that the law is like a goal. It is like an affirmation. It is a way for us to, to think about what it would be like if we lived in a world where this was not so. What affirmation, what sort of way forward can we, can we have? In various ways, each one of these three purposes is about making things right between God and humanity, between God and you and me, and between people themselves. How do we live as a community and in a world? How do we live in a right way? What affirmations does this second section of the Ten Commandments give us? Are we just going to get mad when we see people who are lying and stealing and cheating? Or are we going to think about how we might live differently with them so that we can restore our relationships for all of us? These second sections of the Ten Commandments are shorter than the first. The, each one of them is. And the first one, very often we, we stop after, after the first phrase, honor your father and mother. And we want to say period. But there's not a period in the Bible, in the text. There's a comma. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. We have used a variety of tools to understand what does that mean and how do we live with that. The larger catechism, again, it's a tool from our Reformation past, is almost 400 years old. It was written in London as part of an assembly of clergy leaders from throughout the United Kingdom, mostly from England, but some from Scotland and Ireland and Wales. And they were there to write down uh, what it meant to be a Christian and, and how, what, what's the proper way of having a, a reformed faith, a, a, a good faith. And the 1600s was a, was a very complicated piece of history in, in, in England. What was going on politically was a revolution, literally a revolution. There was a war. There was, there were, and, and, and one of the factions that was in the war was called the Presbyterians. And they had military units. So when you went to church, you just didn't sit and worship. You might get drafted and put out on the front lines. And then you had independence, and then you had the royalists, and you had these people who were fighting each other, literally. And ultimately what happened in the middle of all of that was that the king, the king of England, was arrested. And he was tried for treason, and he was executed. Wow, how could that be? The king, 
was executed. And in the middle of that, you had this group of clergy leaders who were trying to help, help organize what is the right way for us to live, and they came up with the Westminster Confession of Faith, and then they came up with the larger and shorter catechisms, and those were to be tools to help people understand what the, the uh, challenges were in the world. Well, there's this page, this several section page in all three of those documents that speak about the Ten Commandments. And this is what it says about the, the, the Fifth Commandment. What is the general scope of the Fifth Commandment is one of the questions. And the answer is, the general scope of the Fifth Commandment is the performance of duties which we mutually owe in our several relations. Translated, that means it's about showing respect for each other. Depend, no matter where people were in the social order of things, whether or not they were royalty or whether or not they were peasants, whether or not they were part of the community that you lived in or not. The honoring your father and mother was more than simply a familial relationship. It was a societal understanding to, to give honor and respect certainly to people who have wisdom and knowledge. But there also, it also means, it also has a subtext that we give honor and respect to those who are young and are learning and growing. It's not simply a matter of the young disrespecting those who are elderly. Sometimes those who have position and power and age disrespect those who are young. It's a mutuality there. And that last part of the phrase, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Wow. Some degree of of hope and, and prosperity and goodness that will come. As I was thinking about that this week, I, something came to my mind, and you may think I'm really crazy when I say this, but I think, I think you'll get it. Um, you may know the, uh, the television, TV series, and movie brand Star Trek. Y'all know that? Heard of it? Okay. There's a character in that, fray, in that, in that called uh, Mr. Spock. And Mr. Spock is an alien. He is, um, he is a Vulcan. Vulcans are an alien race. Of course, that's all made up. It's, 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 you know, science fiction. And actually, technically, for all you techie, for you Trekkie geeks, Spock is only half Vulcan. He's also half human. But that's, that's, another, that's another point, <clears throat> which I digress. Um, Spock had this phrase that he used as a greeting and the phrase was, live long and prosper. And it's been kicked around in all sorts of different places. You look, at, you look online and you see all sorts of different ways to, to think about it. The character who played Mr. Spock was Leonard Nimoy. And Nimoy wrote in his autobiography that the phrase, live long and prosper, came about as came out of his upbringing as a Jewish boy. Part of his religious training ended up in that phrase. It, it's something that resonated. and he, he took some things that he had learned as a child in his religious instruction, and he came up with, years later, live long and prosper. Wow. 
so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Live long and prosper. It's not maybe exactly the same thing, but there's a, there's a hint of a, something that's out there that's good. Be mutually respectful of each other so that you may share the wonder of blessing in the world. Commandments 6 through 9 speak of particular acts of social disorder. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. Each one of these is about a particular affirmative action, yet they are also about an underlying emotional form as well. Jesus gave his own commentary on this. He said in Matthew 5, you have heard it said that uh, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult your brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you shall be liable to the hell of fire. And then he also goes on, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jimmy Carter got into trouble about that, if you may remember, a number of years ago. You've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but carry the vows you made to the Lord. But I say to you, let your words be yes, let your word yes be yes, and no be no. Anything more comes from the evil one. Jesus takes these things and says it's not simply about the rules because there's more to it than the rules. It's about what's inside of us as well. So often we, we see the news of our own day and we know that there's some thorny relationship that happens out there. It's identified by the law. It is our right to defend ourselves. We shall not murder. We know that. It is our right to defend ourselves. We do not plan to kill anybody, but then somebody dies. That is self-defense. That is reasonable. That is right. But what happens when we learn that the person we perceive to be the threat was not a threat at all? How do we then make sense of that? What happens when we don't have sexual relationships with somebody that's not our spouse, but we allow emotional in intimacy with another person to steal away our time, our energy, or even our money from our marital commitment? What happens when we actively do not actively take an um, do not actively take from another person. We don't actively steal. But through our business practices, we deny other people the chances they need to flourish. In one form or another, all of these things are spoken to in the larger catechism's commentary on the Ten Commandments. Moreover, our ancestors in faith went on to say, well, don't sins have different ranks? Aren't there different orders of sins? And the logic that the Puritans used to answer this was that anything that distresses God is a sin. So all sins do have this same sense of distressing God. Yet, as humans, we make distinctions. If a person should know better, 
That's a distinction if they violate one of these laws. If the ones who are harmed were weak or vulnerable or exposed in ways where they were taken advantage of, that makes a difference. If the act of harm was intentional and malicious or it was unintended and accidental, all of these things run around in our understanding of what the law is, not just in our legal terms, and I know the lawyers out there can parse this even more finely in terms of our human judicial system, but in terms of our religious faith tradition of what the law is and what we have as Christians inherited and how we live with other people who may not be Christians in the world, in our own community as well as in the world at large. The Catechism makes distinctions And when we make distinctions like this, we know that we can get mad about these things. And anger can be a useful thing. Anger can have a way of purging out that which is wrong. But our anger should not be aimed simply at destruction. Our anger must be aimed at what is good and right and useful. The Ten Commandments the law that we have, really is about affirming aspects of our relationships with God and with each other. And when we do that, we build connections and relationships. We find mutual blessings that promote stability in the world. We value the preciousness of life. We encourage fulfilling relationships in our families and in our community and in the world We affirm that there is enough stuff for us to live. We direct the paths of truthfulness. And we are able to see and find the way to contentment that rests in God's presence. There are a lot of things that make us mad in the world. The law hits on these one way or another. Yet we gain much from moving forward, not by simply holding on to that anger, but by focusing on how we may thrive together to share the wonder of God's blessings that we have been given. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.